0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Bill Allen's Facebook Studies. We study the Bible together on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons live at 3 p.m. Central Time right here on my Facebook uh, page. I also post those afterwards. We share them to our West Irwin Church of Christ and West Irwin Live Facebook pages. And then in a little bit, they are shared on our website, westerwin.com, that's W-E-S-T-E rwin.com you click on the scroll over the connect uh, tab at the top and then click on live streaming and then go down to the video archive and click on that and you can find these lessons and lots of other stuff if you're watching our worship services live then you'll see that pop up in that big blue box on that page of uh at west erwin connect so uh, glad to be with you. We're studying one of my favorite books. I, I have said before that my favorite books of the Bible are the Gospel of John. That would be number one, and uh, the next three are kind of, um, they're kind of all right there together. And it's Job and Psalms and Romans. It's hard for me sometimes to uh, differentiate between those. Acts would probably be coming up right after that. But Job is definitely in my top two or three, and it is, a, it is an incredible, incredible book. It's this confrontation between Job and God. It initially starts out between God and Satan over Job, and, uh, and God challenges uh, Satan and says, Have you considered my servant Job? And uh, there's no one like him in all the earth, and, uh, and then Satan asks what I think is the theme of the book of Job, the question he asks In Job 1 verse 9, which is, does Job serve God for nothing? Um, Basically, you've given him everything a man could ever want. He's got his family. He's got his health. He's well-respected in the community. He's got wealth. Uh, he's, He's set. He said, you take some of those things away and he'll curse you to your face. And so in round one, uh, in chapter one, uh, God lets Satan go, but he puts limitations on him. It's interesting that God is the one in control all the way through the book of Job. And Satan is uh, bound by uh, not being able to strike him. And so he takes away his children. He takes away his his uh, wealth, his property, all of those things. And, um, and uh his livestock and uh, and job did not uh, falter it seems he didn't uh, he didn't he was still faithful to the Lord and so uh, job goes uh, Satan goes back to God the second time and says again if you consider my servant job even though you incited me against him God says uh, he still is holding on to his faithfulness and Satan says well skin for skin he said if you touch his body if you take away his health, Then he'll curse you to your face, and God says, okay, but still God gives limitations. Still, God is in control, and God tells Satan, well, you can can harm him physically, but you cannot uh, cause him to end his life, can't bring about the end of his life, which is interesting because that's exactly what Job wanted after all of this happened, as we saw in chapter three and some of the other things that we'll see. Uh, Job was ready to let God take him and end it, but... um, god had said from the start nope that's that's a that's a bridge you're not going to cross satan and so satan gives him all these horrible terrible sores and Job prays for death to come in chapter three or wishes that he had never been born or that he had been still born um miscarried or something and uh, even his wife turns against him and says hey just curse god and die and and, uh, and and so the interesting comment in Job chapter 2, verse 10, is that Job didn't uh, sin in what he said. And I think that is significant. A lot of the things that I have on all of my Old Testament stuff, including the book of Job, is from the great Dr. John Willis of Abilene Christian University. Wonderful, wonderful professor. Such a knowledgeable man. Such a wonderful spirit. Such a great teacher. Um and so Job vents in chapter 3, and then as we saw last week, uh, his three friends come to help him, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and as I've said many times, if you want to know what not to say to someone who is struggling, what not, how not to do hospital ministry, then read Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Yes, it is inspired scripture. Yes, I think they were literally real people who actually said those things to Job. But that doesn't mean that they should have said them to Job. It just means that they did. And so Scripture records it. And they said horrible, horrible things to him, as we saw in last week's lesson on Thursday. And so now uh, Job is going to respond. And we saw a little bit of that. Job responds to his friends, first of all, and, and says, You guys are no help. You're just making it worse. And he also comments on their theology. Job and all of his friends had the same theology, which was, Righteous people prosper and wicked people suffer. And that's generally true, I think. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that righteous people never suffer or that wicked people never prosper. And so Job lights into his friends, as we saw last week uh, in chapters 21 and 24, talking about that and saying, Hey, look, it's just not true. I mean, I used to believe that too, but I am just as righteous as I ever was. And now look at how I'm suffering. Something isn't right. Right. And that's something, as we're going to read today in Job's mind, is God and how God is acting. And one of the great things about this book and one of the great things about some of the Psalms is that uh, Job helps us to realize, hey, this is, um, this is not the way it's supposed to go. This is not the way it's supposed to go. And God is big enough to handle our uh, questions. He's big enough to handle even our anger. Uh, Somewhere along the line, Job goes too far because in the end, he repents in dust and ashes. But uh, in the meantime, Job is going to call God out. And he is going to uh, accuse God of not managing his world the way God should do it. and, um, And then ultimately, God will respond. So let's first look at some passages about Job and God. And that starts in chapter 9, verse 1 in our reading today. Remember the structure of the book. Uh, The first two chapters are God and Satan over Job. And then chapter 3 is Job venting. And then starting in chapter 4 all the way until um, uh, a man by the name of Elihu comes up. And then God finally is an interesting discussion between Job and his friends. Eliphaz speaks in response to Job's venting in chapter 3, and then Job responds. And then Bildad speaks, and then Job responds, and Zophar speaks, and Job responds. And they go through three rounds of that, except on the third round, Zophar doesn't even say anything. And uh, Bildad has very little to say. Uh, And so they ran out of material because they couldn't answer Job's uh, uh, complaints. And Elihu comes along and says, you guys, I was younger, I kept quiet, but you guys are all worthless, nobody is answering him. And when Elihu comes along, he, he shares some of the same kinds of things that God will. And I think I agree with, uh, with Dr. Willis is that Elihu is kind of a mediary sent to uh, prepare Job to meet God after uh, going so vehemently in opposition with his friends. But first, Job has it out with God. And I think this is the power in the book of Job. It's these speeches of Job in response to his friends, many times challenging God uh, either directly or indirectly. And so Job chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, first of all. Then Job replied, Indeed, I know that all that you're saying is true, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Though they wished to dispute with him, they could not answer him one time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? And so Job is saying, hey, I'm innocent. I know I'm innocent. God knows I'm innocent. But what can I do about it? He's God. He has all the power. He has all the wisdom. He has uh, everything at his disposal, and I have nothing. Uh, Skip down to verse 13 of Job 9. God does not restrain his anger, even the cohorts of Rahab cowered at his feet. How then can I dispute with him? How can I find words to argue with him? Though I were innocent, verse 15 of Job 9, I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. Even if I summoned him and he responded, I do not believe, he would give me a hearing. He would crush me with a storm and multiply my wounds for no reason. He would not let me catch my breath, but would overwhelm me with misery. If it is a matter of strength, he is mighty, verse 19. And if it's a matter of justice, who can challenge him? Even if I were innocent, which Job believed very strongly that he were, was, in verse 20, even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. If I were blameless, it would pronounce me guilty, although I am blameless. I have no concern for myself. I despise my own life. It is all the same. That is why I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. Job thought he was blameless, and yet he was being destroyed, and that didn't fit with their theology. And so his friends just denied the reality of it all. Job decided that it was time to take it to the source, and that's God himself. And he's frustrated because he says, hey, I'm a mere mortal. How can I, how can I go against God? Uh, even though he is in the wrong and I am in the right. Uh, if I were innocent, he says, it still it wouldn't matter uh, because he's God. Uh, really, really amazing the way Job talks so frankly with the Lord. Uh, in Job chapter 10, starting at verse 1, I loathe my very life, therefore I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I say to God, do not declare me guilty. But tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands? God is creator. While you smile on the plans of the wicked, he's taking it out against Job that he has created. But the wicked get off scot-free. Verse 4, talking to God still, do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as a mortal sees? Are your days like those of a mortal? Or your years like those of a strong man? That you must search out my faults and probe after my sin, though you know that I am not guilty and that no one can rescue me from your hands. Uh, Job says, stop picking on me, God. (laughs) Why are you picking on me? Why why are you so focused on me? I don't get that. I'm innocent. Verse 8, your hands shaped me and made me. He still holds on to his devotion to the Lord and recognizes God as the sovereign creator, but he's having a really hard time with how God is running his world. Uh, Job continues on to, to speak to God, verse 13 of chapter 10, But this is what you concealed in your heart, and I know that this was in your mind. If I sinned, you would be watching me, and would not let my offense go unpunished. If I am guilty, woe to me. If I am innocent, I cannot lift my head, for I am full of shame and drowned in my affliction." If I hold my head high, you stalk me like a lion and again display your awesome power against me. You bring new witnesses against me and increase your anger toward me. Your forces come against me wave upon wave. Why then did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before any eye saw me. If only I had never come into being or had been carried straight from the womb to the grave. Are not my few days almost over? Turn away from me so I can have a moment's joy before I go to the place of no return, death, to the land of gloom and utter darkness, to the land of deepest night of utter darkness and disorder, where even the light is like darkness. Job wishes for his death. And yet, remember, why is it that that's not coming? It's because God has put the limit there. And has told Satan, no, you can't take his life. It's one of the most interesting ironies about the whole book. Go on to Job chapter 27 as Job begins to uh, uh, finish his speeches with his friends. Job 27, As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty who has made my life bitter, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked, and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never never admit you are in the right. Till I die, I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. Sometimes it's hard to tell if Job is talking to his friends or about his friends or if he's talking to or about God. But I I think it's a little bit of both here. Job says, "I, I will not let go of my integrity. He and he didn't. He, to the very end, until the words of Job had ended, uh, he kept saying, I am innocent. I do not deserve this. This is wrong. And his friends just couldn't handle someone speaking about God that way. Uh, Chapter 30 of Job, beginning at verse 19. Chapter 30, verse 19. He throws me into the mud, and I am reduced to dust and ashes. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for all the living. Uh, Job is looking at God and he's saying, you brought this on. You did this. And, and this is not right because I am an innocent man. And yet, here you have it out for me to such a great extent. Well, one of the things that Job goes back to is trying to find some way to meet God on equal footing. He is convinced that he has a strong case against God. And if he could just find a place where he could go mano a mano, if he could go on even ground with God, he would win. And so he asks to meet God in court We see that several times throughout the speeches of Job. We'll look at a few of those. In chapter 9, verses 32 through 35, He is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, Job 9, verse 32, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, that Redeemer, uh, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him, but as it now stands with me, I cannot. Oh, that we could confront! I could confront him in court, and there would be someone there to stand between us, an intermediary, because he's God and I'm a mere mortal, and yet he's in the wrong. Uh, Let's go up to chapter thirteen and verse twenty. Chapter thirteen, starting in verse twenty. Only grant me these two things, God, and then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand far from me, and stop frightening me with your terrors. Then summon me, and I will answer, or let me speak, and you reply to me. How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy?" I just want two things, God. Job says, first of all, let up, would you? Would you ease up a little bit? And then once you've done that, let's meet in court. Let's meet where I can actually argue with you uh, in peace without all this terrible, uh, these terrible things that you have put on me. Uh, chapter 19, beginning in verse 23, is a one that'll sound familiar to you. Chapter 19, verse 23. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives. You've sung that song, Job 19, verse 25. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I, and not another, how my heart yearns within me even after death Job feels like he still has a chance he still has a redeemer and that's why he wants his words to be engraved in iron written in stone so that long after he has passed people will look at those words and they'll say oh wow this guy has an interesting case against God oh it turns out he's in the right how about that that's what Job wished for and so he says I know that my redeemer lives I know that there's someone there for me And I think that Job believed very strongly in life after death, but he also believed in the peace that would come to his own life physically and emotionally, and to some degree even spiritually, if his life could just be ended, if it had never even begun. Um, It's amazing how Job speaks so honestly with God. Uh, Chapter 23, starting in verse uh, 1. Then Job replied, Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwellings, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Job twenty three verse four. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No. He would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him, and there I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. While he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. The psalmist says there's nowhere you can go and not find God and is very comforted by that. Psalm 139 and other places. Job says, I can't find him anywhere. Because Job wants to meet him in court. Job wants to meet him and argue with him about how God is handling Job. And Job says, I don't deserve this. I I am innocent, and yet you have it in against me. You are making me suffer, and it's not right. And if I could just find a good place in court where we could meet, me on one side, you on the other, and there could be some kind of, of mediary between us, then I would be able to state my case. Uh, that statement in, um, in, in verses uh, 6 and 7 or verse 4, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Uh, he, he is ready to go. Job is. And I think after his friends had been interacting with him, he was only felt only stronger about uh, his case. Uh, the rest of chapter 23 continues on, uh, verse 13. But he stands alone, and who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me and many such plans he still has in store. He's not even done with me yet, making me suffer. Verse 15, that is why I am terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. I think Job came to believe two things about his suffering. Number one, it was God who brought it on. And number two, he was innocent. He was innocent, but he couldn't do anything about it finally and the last part that job shares is chapter 31 and so let's read the end of his case (laughs) in job 31 beginning at verse 35 and you can just hear the the desire in his words job 31 verse 35 oh that i had someone to hear me i sign now my defense let the almighty answer me let my accuser put his indictment in writing he's talking about god Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of my every step. I would present it to him as to a ruler. If my land cries out against me and its furrows are wet with tears, if I have devoured its yield without payment or broken the spirit of its tenants, then let briars come up instead of wheat and stink wheat instead of barley. The words of Job are ended the end of chapter 31 he says i have not done anything to anybody any wrong and he says a lot of that in this last speech and he says i would i would be willing to stand before the almighty and accuse him i have signed my defense i have rested my case basically is what he's saying in this courtroom scene let the almighty answer me he says, he challenges God. He takes his indictment and he says, I would wear it on my shoulder. I would approach God like a prince. I'd put it on like a crown. That's what Job felt. Well, i it's amazing the words that Job has. And, and uh, the next section, starting in chapter 32, is this young man by the name of Elihu. And Elihu comes on the scene and he immediately says, hey, I'm the youngest of the group. I know that you should respect your elders, so I have kept quiet, but you guys have been worthless, talking to Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And Job, you're not any better because you don't know what you're talking about. And so even though I'm younger, I'm going to speak out. I can't be silent anymore. You guys have done nothing to answer Job's arguments. And so let me give it a try. And when Elihu starts speaking, he shares some of the things that kind of sounds like the others. But he also shares some of the things that sounds like what God is going to say. Because the message is this. There's a lot about being God that you don't understand, Job. So that's Elihu in chapter, starting in chapter 32. But I want us to go ahead and go forward to where Job gets his wish. After Elihu speaks... We read, starting in Job 38, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. It's really interesting the way God approaches Job. He says, Brace yourself like a man. Uh, One of his friends, Bildad, had called him a worm. Job himself had said, hey, I would wear my accusations like a crown. I would approach him like a prince. And basically God is saying, no, Job, you're not a prince. Uh, You're not a worm. You're, You're a man. So brace yourself like a man, like a human being, like a mortal, and I'll be glad to respond. And so God does respond, but it's not like what Job thinks. Starting in verse 4, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set? set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? You get the feeling of where God is going with that, right? He doesn't answer a single accusation or complaint of Job's. And that's really frustrating, really, truly frustrating. But what he does do is hit Job with question after question after question after question. A lot about the universe, Job, that you don't get, including your little life. And it's as if God is saying, look, I care about you, Job, just like I care about everything. And I I have created everything. and And I manage everything. And I sustain everything, including you and your life, Job. And God continues on just question after question after question until the end of chapter 39. And, um, and so in chapter 40, God gives Job his uh, permission uh, to speak and to answer. Chapter 40, verse 1, The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. This is your chance, Job. This is what you've been hollering for and screaming for and crying out for. God says, okay, let the one who accuses God answer him. What do you think, Job? Then Job answered the Lord, Job 40, verse 3, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice, but I will say no more. God has done what Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar couldn't do. He has shut Job up. He has silenced him. Basically, God has won the argument. And you would think, okay, we're done. But we're not done. Why? Because God doesn't care about winning arguments. There are so many times in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus didn't try to respond. He didn't try to answer. He didn't try to justify himself or vindicate himself. Because that's not what God is about. God's not interested in winning arguments. He's interested in winning souls. He's interested in having a close relationship with his creation. And that doesn't mean that you answer every question. And that's what God does with Job. Now he has silenced him. He has shut him up. But he's not finished. And so we keep reading in chapter 40 beginning in verse 6. Then the Lord spoke to Job again out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's, and can your voice thunder like his? And on and on and on and on it goes again. Why? He had gotten Job to shut up, and his friends certainly couldn't do that. But that's not God's purpose. He doesn't just want to silence us. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to recognize his role, his sovereignty, and reverence him, hold him in the highest regard, love him, trust him, believe in him. And so God gives Job all of those questions. And then in chapter 42, Job responds again. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's what God wanted all along. He wanted Job to come to the point to where he realized the two things about God that I have come to realize. Number one, that God does exist and he is sovereign. And number two, I'm not him. And because I'm not him, I may not understand what he's doing in his world. I may not understand what he's doing in my world and that's okay because I trust him because I believe that he is God and I am not and that's what Job had to learn all along. He had been blessed by God and he had, he had worshiped God and he was a very righteous man, very obedient, but God wanted more. He wanted that relationship to go deep, deep, far deeper than it was. And he decided that the way to do that was for Job to endure great suffering that didn't make sense. Because God is not just about our physical and emotional, even spiritual safety at this moment. He'll throw some things at us that will cause us to question. Say those questions out loud to someone that you can trust. Not to Eliphaz, Bildad, or Zophar. Starting with God and maybe to someone else that will let you vent and not feel threatened. that will let you question and not feel like they have to defend God. When God comes on the scene, he doesn't defend himself. All he does is tell Job, look Job, there's a lot about being God you don't understand. And in the first round after God's questioning, Job is silenced and then God lets loose for round two. And at that point, Job says, I had heard about you, but now I've seen you and I repent. In dust and ashes. The rest of the book, God uh, reaffirms his love for Job and restores him to his rightful position in the community. He brings him uh, more family, and and that doesn't replace the ones that he had. Ask anyone who has had a son or daughter that passed away, and then later had another child. Uh, there's there's no there's no replacing that child that you've lost. I'm sure that's the case. And yet God was able to give him a, a family again. And it was a great blessing. Wasn't the same, but it was a blessing. And then God looks at his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and he says, You guys blew it. Man, you guys blew it. How did they blow it? They didn't honestly respond to Job. Instead, they denied the reality of everything that he was going through. What Job was saying was true. Hey, I, I haven't changed a bit, and now God has it in for me. I don't get this. And if only they would have said, you know, Job, we don't get it either, but but we're going to be here with you while we while we go through this. What a great blessing that would have been to Job. But instead, they tried to defend God. They tried to explain God. They tried to tell Job, hey, look, Job, you know what we believe, the righteous prosper, the wicked suffer. You're suffering, so, you know, you must be wicked. You must, there must be something going on. And Job says, but I'm the same. I'm the very same. This doesn't make sense. And so God tells his friends to go to Job and ask for prayers. Go to my servant Job. He was a, an honest struggler and ask him to pray for you. What an incredible, incredible book. And if you've gone through some things that you don't understand, that's okay. Don't pretend that you understand them. Don't pretend that they don't hurt. Don't pretend that you're not angry. Find a way to be able to express that in a good, safe environment with someone, uh, with God, first of all, and then perhaps with a trusted friend or loved one or church leader who will not feel like they have to run to God's rescue but will just put their arms around you and, and let you vent for a while, but help you to move forward through it. That's what God did with Job. He helped him to move forward through that, to come to the realization that even though God may not be understood, he can still be trusted. And I think that's the ultimate lesson that Job learned. It's what we need to learn too. God doesn't always act the way we think he should act. Habakkuk had to learn that. Jeremiah had to learn that, the apostles had to learn that, Job had to learn that, and you and I have to learn that too. Um, even though we don't understand God sometimes, we can always trust Him. And when, it's, when we want to lash out a bit at God, He's big enough to handle it. He's okay with that. What He's not okay with is denying the reality of what you're feeling what you're seeing the psalmist did that as well and you might as well right God already knows your thoughts he knows what's in your heart and so go to him with that but do that in reverence somewhere along the way Job went too far and some of the things we read we understand that right but when you get that glimpse of God the one true and living sovereign God just like Isaiah did just like Thomas did When Jesus stood before him and said, Hey, stick your finger in these nail holes. Plunge your arm through my side. Believe, Thomas. And Thomas responded by saying, My Lord and my God. You see, repentance and worship are the only right response when we come face to face with God. That's what Moses saw in the burning bush. And that's what Job sees here. I had heard about you. But now my eyes have seen you, and I repent in dust and ashes. The God of Job is still the God who is in control. Like Habakkuk said, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. He's there for you. He hasn't given up on you. Please, please, don't give up on him. To Job's credit, he never gave up on God. I pray that we will all be able to do the same. I'll see you on Thursday.